May I have a word with you? Welcome to May I Have a Word with You, a podcast that aims to help ordinary people read God's Word, the Bible, for the sake of life application and a godly transformation. In other words, for the sake of becoming more like Jesus. My name is John Brommel, and I'm your host. So let's get started with this edition of May I Have a Word with You? Hello to all of you listening to this episode of May I Have a Word with You? Uh, We are going to be tackling the topic of preparation uh, for the second week of Advent. And um, so I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer and we're going to jump right in with both feet. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your love that you have shown in Jesus, our Savior. He is the King who took on flesh and came among us at the Incarnation. We're going to celebrate that in just a few weeks, Lord, and um, rejoice at the gift of his uh, life and his death and his resurrection. And so we ask that you would continue to help us prepare to live lives that reflect his goodness. Uh, We ask this, Father, that we might please you and honor you, uh, that we would be a part of your kingdom, Lord Jesus, and that uh, in your gift of your indwelling presence by your Holy Spirit, uh, we might be a part also of building your kingdom, making a difference in this world for the truth of who you are. Uh, We ask all these things, Jesus, praying in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, then, as we get started, um, the themes that I'm offering for Advent, for the uh, four weeks of Advent, the first theme of prophecy, second theme of preparation, third theme of joy, and the fourth theme of Emmanuel— These are themes that we at uh, the church where I serve have uh, used for the four weeks of Advent for a long, long time. And um, I I always find that I never get tired of exploring the significance of these themes. Now, the first one that um, I shared in the last episode, uh, the theme of prophecy, it um, largely points us to the um, the prophecies that were given about the coming of Jesus, uh, his advent among us, the incarnation, but we um, we also have to face the reality that Jesus made a prophetic promise to us that he would return, that he would come again, and so that first week doesn't just get us ready for Christmas, but in fact it gets us ready for eternity. We're, um, we're looking for the fulfillment of that prophecy that I will come soon. And uh, so we say, amen, come Lord Jesus. Now this week, we're talking about preparation. And uh, so on this second week of Advent, um, what are we preparing for? You might think, well, we have to get ready for Christmas, right? We have to get ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But there's so much more. Um, now, Traditionally, in the lectionary, the Revised Common Lectionary, if you're a part of a faith community that uses that tool, um, the reading for the second uh, week of Advent 
is typically a reading that talks about John the Baptist. So let me give you an example from Mark chapter 1. This would be um, the reading that we would use this coming Sunday. I'm offering this prior to the Sunday of the second Sunday of Advent. We would be reading Mark 1, uh, verses 1 to 8. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. So here we have the prophecy, and now there's fulfillment. The prophet Isaiah wrote, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness, and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist for food. He ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Now, these words from John are really profound. They're poignant words. Uh, We hear John the Baptist, who is the fulfillment of the prophecy. So, Mark's gospel starts off this way of saying the prophet Isaiah wrote about the coming one. And this coming one he's writing about is the messenger who is uh, the the one who will prepare the way for the coming of Christ. And this messenger was John the Baptist, Mark says. Now, Jesus has a lot to say about John the Baptist. He, He says he's Elijah, if you're willing to accept it. He says that, you know, there is no one uh, born of a woman who is greater than John the Baptist. Um, but he, uh, John the Baptist is this person who in his boldness, in his, um, fieriness, you could say, uh, we, we get some of that fieriness in other gospel readings, but, um, he, he shows profound humility. John announced verse seven of Mark one, John announced someone is coming soon who is greater than I am so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. Now that humility is so much a part of what preparation in the season of Advent uh, really is about. So being about preparing for the Advent of our Lord, for the coming of Jesus, um, is, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, right? So there's gift buying and present wrapping and cookie baking and cleaning the house and getting ready for guests and all those kinds of things that will happen at Christmas time. My my wife's company Christmas party is going to be coming up, you know, so there's times of celebrating and all of that kind of thing. But ultimately, when we look at what Christmas is about, it's about the coming of this king who came for a purpose. And the purpose was to go to the cross in our place. He shows abject humility. He is the all-powerful one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and yet he chooses, he willingly chooses to lay down his life for you and me. And by that 
work. He does for us that which we can never do for ourselves. He, he, he accomplishes what I could not accomplish myself. He is the perfect one, the sinless one, who, though he is without sin, becomes sin in my place on the cross and um, makes the atonement for my sin in order that I then might have uh, a right relationship with God. That is profound humility. And so now John, the preparer, the one who is preparing the way for him, he shows humility by saying, you know, he's much greater than I am. I, I don't even deserve to, to untie the straps of his sandals. Now, when we look at the Gospel of John, uh, here we have um, a testimony in, in John's um, first chapter where he writes about John the Baptist. Uh, John chapter 1, I'm going to read here from verse 6. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Now, a couple of things there. I'm going to pause. Uh, the light is an image that John was talking about in the pro- prologue, the beginning part of John's gospel. This is so familiar. In the beginning, the word already existed, or in um, I guess a translation that's more familiar from my childhood. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. <coughs> Excuse me, and the Word was God. Okay, so then uh, John goes on and he says, you know, the the Word gave life to everything, and His life brought light to everyone, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So now that light is what he's talking about here then in verses 6 and 7. God sent this man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Now here's the next word I want to pause on, this word testimony. Uh, testimony is um, it, it's a fascinating word. So in, uh, in the Greek, uh, it's marturia, marturia. Uh, the testifying, it's the witness that is born. It is the, um, uh, it's the truth of the gospel. It is uh, the power of the good news. It's, um, it, I'm going to come back to that word because uh, to kind of grasp it, to, to wrap our heads around it, I want to go to um, make a reference to Acts chapter 1. Because uh, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, all right, you're going to be my testimonials. <laughs> he doesn't say it exactly that way. It's you're going to be my witnesses. There's a connection between these two words, witness and testimony. Um, so a witness is one who bears a testimony, one who gives uh, an, an account of something that they have experienced or seen or um, uh, something that they've witnessed. So a witness is in the Greek a martus, martus. And, and that's the word from which we get the English word martyr. A martyr, we think of a martyr as someone who dies for their faith, right? Someone who is uh, unwilling to renounce their faith in Jesus and they might be uh, executed or beheaded or, you know, those kinds of horrific things that we've heard about and uh, in some cases um, maybe even seen images of or videos of or something like that, that, that someone who is um, put to death because of their faith, they're unwilling to renounce their faith in Jesus. They become a martyr. They're, they're killed. Stephen was the first martyr. 
Uh, he was bearing witness to Jesus. He wound, wound up being stoned to death um, as Paul, Saul, the apostle who became Paul, was um, watching the coats of those who were doing the stoning. And, and he was the first martyr. But the word martyr comes from this idea of witness. Now, Jesus in Acts 1, he says, you stay here, wait until the power of God comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. You will be my martyrs. Okay, so um, in, in a sense, we could say that uh, being a martyr is about more than just laying down your earthly life, laying down your, um, um, what would I say, your mortal life. In, in other words, it's, it's laying down your whole life. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to die to yourself, take up your cross and follow. There is such humility that is um, necessary for us to obey that call from Jesus. It's only possible by his indwelling presence, by his Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my martyrs. You will be my witnesses. You will be able to take up your cross and follow me. You will not love your life, but you will lose your life. You know, you can recall all of those different ways that Jesus talked about um, joining him, um, being baptized. Do you remember when James and John came to Jesus and they said, you know, we want the seats of um, recognition and authority on your right and on your left when you come in your kingdom? They still didn't understand what it meant for Jesus to be the king. But um, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about the suffering of laying down his life uh, for the sake of the world. And they're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. Well, ultimately, they did, by the power of the Holy Spirit, come to a place where they were able, ready and able and willing to lay down their lives. James, the brother of John, he, he was put to death very early on. We read about that in the book of Acts. Um, but John lived to be an old man. And so we're going to make reference to another one of uh, the writings that attributed uh, to John the Apostle, um, John the Elder. But anyways, um, th this idea of a martyr, a martus, uh, one who is a witness, bears a martyria, um, a testimony. And the importance of this for us is um, hinted at in the humility of John the Baptist. So why, you know, Mark says he is the one who is preparing the way for the Lord. That's the fulfillment of the prophecy. So we go from week one of Advent prophecy, and the prophets spoke even about the one who would prepare the way for the coming king, John the Baptist, and here John the Baptist comes on the scene. He's preparing the way, and how does he model what it means to prepare? He models humility by saying, Jesus is greater. You know, I must decrease, he must increase. So to prepare <clears throat> is not um, first and foremost about getting our house in order so that we can have guests over. To prepare is not first and foremost about making sure our shopping list has been completed and we have all the gifts wrapped and we're ready to celebrate Christmas. Not that there's anything wrong with that and not that you shouldn't do that, 
But first and foremost, the preparation of Advent is about realizing the, um, the humble position that we take willingly, by choice, but through the indwelling, empowering of the Holy Spirit to humbly say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus, the one who takes on flesh and comes among us in the incarnation, his first advent, is also the one who is present with me by his spirit even today. And he empowers me then to live humbly that life of sacrificial love and sacrificial service. So um, when we begin to think in that kind of way about Advent, that Advent is, as I've already said, not just about getting ready for Christmas, but Advent is preparing me to live a life surrendered and submitted to the King who has come and will come again, Jesus, the um, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, right? And, and so the humility that that requires actually becomes a part of my testimony. So I mentioned John the Elder. Now, um, there's this place in uh, the book of Revelation. It's it's the apocalypse, right? So Revelation, um, the last book in the Bible, the Greek word for that is apocalypsis. It's, that's where we get the word apocalypse from. So um, I was mentioning this actually um, in my church on Sunday, how there are writings um, from Mark's gospel to include the words of Jesus that are apocalyptic kind of words where he's he's revealing what we can expect or what we should be um, prepared for, what we should be um, anticipating when he comes. And um, so this return of the king is uh, a, a big part of what the book of Revelation is all about. Now there's this scene in Revelation chapter 19 and um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in chapter 19, um, the heading in the New Living Translation of this chapter is Songs of Victory in Heaven, or in the English Standard Version, Rejoicing in Heaven. So much of this book of Revelation is about worship, and and so we have these words after the, the Apostle writes, After this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his saints, uh, his servants. Uh, and again, this voices, the, their voices rang out, praise the Lord. So this worship and praise that's going on here uh, comes to a point where um, this angel now appears. And uh, so the angel uh, says to John, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Now, what does that mean? It means that the angel, in the sense, is, is acting as a prophet, is, is doing this prophetic thing of speaking for God. These are words that come from God. Um, in the English Standard Version, it says, the angel says to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And so what does John the Elder, John the Apostle do? Well, he falls down and worships him. 
fascinating scene. The apostle falls down and worships. And so let me just read this in verse 10, because this is really, this is so neat. In verse 10, it says, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, No, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. There it is. I'm just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Your brothers and sisters who are witnesses. Remember, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my martyrs. You will be my witnesses. You will bear testimony to the truth of who I am. Now, what does he mean? Well, a part of what he means is we, by his indwelling presence, by his Holy Spirit, we will be empowered to humbly lay down our lives in such a way that we die to ourselves and we live for Christ, that we take up our cross and we follow him, that we live sacrificially and with that kind of sacrificial love that he has shown us. And and so that becomes the preparation for the coming of the king, the, the second coming. How do we prepare for his return? We die to ourselves and we live for him. We, uh, we have this testimony. We bear this witness. Now, he goes on. Now, listen to this. This is the re- rest of the verse. I'm a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. The essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. In other words, week one prophecy, what's the essence of that? The essence of that is this preparation that we um, are about because of John the Baptist, who has modeled for us and pointed us to Jesus as the, the great one, not me, not John, not the angel, not the prophets, not anybody else. But the essence of prophecy is to give a clear marturia, for Jesus, to become martyrs for him, to, to lay down our lives for him. Hmm. Well, let me tell you, when you're getting ready for Christmas, you know, sometimes um, that season, this season can get so hectic and so stress-filled that... Um, we can get bound up in all kinds of knots about we're not ready. We don't have everything accomplished that we need to accomplish. We, and, and we are so far from the actual essence of prophecy, which is being a clear witness for Jesus, which is to, to bear testimony of his greatness and our secondariness. All of our preparations, that, so often the, the preparations that come to mind about uh, getting ready for Christmas are so secondary, so insignificant, really, in uh, comparison to the significance of a life laid down as a witness for Jesus, a life of sacrificial love living. You see, the preparation for Christmas and the second coming is really a life fully surrendered. That's it. And you know what? 
maybe I ought to stop there uh, because that's there is no more important or more significant preparation uh, than that. Let God be God. Let Jesus be king. And, and let the coming of this king be so um, present in your preparations for celebrating Christmas that your life becomes a witness uh, uh, to the essence of prophecy, that your life would become that um, picture of that description of humility manifest in your sacrificial love living. Amen. Well, God bless you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and I'll leave it there. Um, this might be something that you want to take some time to meditate on. What does it mean to prepare for the coming of Christ? It means to die to yourself and to take up your cross and bear witness be a martyr for Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the grace uh, to love you so fully and deeply um, and to love ourselves in such a way uh, that we would recognize and, and appreciate the significance and the importance of dying to ourselves that we might live for you that we might live in you, and that we might be aligned with your life, Jesus, uh, that all that we think and say and do would be as a reflection of or a, a representative of you, Christ. Thank you uh, for preparing us uh, to celebrate Christmas. And, and maybe this is in a new way. Um, thank you for preparing us in new ways uh, to look forward to your coming. So all of this we pray, Jesus, in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Well, amen. I'll be back then for our next episode, which um, I'm anticipating being on the theme of joy. So maybe you'll look forward to that. All right. Well, blessings to you. Peace. Peace.